Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here as usual, and I am joined today by Howard Lurie, who is the Principal Analyst in Online and Continuing Education for the, the EduVentures firm. And Howard, we're very happy to have you on Trending in Education. Thanks, Mike. Happy to be here. Yeah, and what what provoked this appearance is your uh, recent article in Encora, which uh, I saw you shared on LinkedIn, which I thought was uh, was a really interesting perspective based on some research that you and the team at Edge Ventures had done recently about adult learners pre and post pandemic, and how there's some interesting data, some interesting trends in there, and I think that's going to be the main thrust of our conversation today. As we set up for that, though, typically I like to ask my guests for a bit of their origin story, what got them into education, what got them uh, to the, the job that they're in today. I'd love to get uh, a little bit of your backstory for our listeners. Well, at the dawn of time, I started out as a history uh, teacher, middle school, high school, college, community college, back before the internet kind of took mm -hmm. over. Mm -hmm. uh, and then got involved in a number of different projects using digital media, using mm -hmm. the internet to advance teaching humanities. Yeah. Nonprofits, rented up some startups. I did a, a stint at edX when it got off the ground, yep. Acrobatic, a Carnegie Mellon spin out, mm -hmm. and then joined Edge Adventures about five years ago. Mm -hmm. But I've been tracking sort of the intersection of teaching digital resources, adults for about 20 years or so. Right. Um, at, the, at my heart, though, I still think I'm about teaching and learning, trying to right. understand how people make connections with the people who are trying to teach them, make connections to the content they're trying to learn about, mm -hmm. make connections to the world outside, yeah. or Zoom or classroom or whatever it might be. Yeah, exactly. And it is the year of the, year of the webinar, uh, the year of the Zoom backdrop, <laughs> the year right. of, of lots of things. And as someone who's been an analyst looking at where, where higher ed in particular is heading and where the activity around higher education and the capital and, you know, perspectives on marketplace are, are evolving, what's 2020 been like for you? Full of surprises, to say the least. I mean, we, we published in February, right before mm -hmm. the pandemic um, really took root, our annual analysis of adult learner, prospective adult learner behavior. We Edge Ventures has been doing basically for the last 10 years, every other year, a, a national survey of prospective adults. We're trying to understand what are the triggers that drive them to enrollment at different levels, why some might want to pursue um, uh, graduate degrees, MBAs, everything down to certificates, courses, yes. and everything in between. And one of the things we had noticed in prior years, this research has gone on, as I said, for, for quite a long time, is that it seemed that the, the, the greater the accumulation of prior educational success and other degrees, credentials, mm -hmm. the more likely those learners would, would uh, try and uh, add more. Mm -hmm. and, and the inverse seemed to be true. Those folks who had not had prior success, did not have prior credentials, had the greatest level of sort of te uh, tentativeness and lack of sense of could they go forward, which we mm -hmm. thought was important and, and somewhat backwards in the mm -hmm. sense of trying to build access and equity mm -hmm. for population. You know, we, we always think about the some college, no degree population, which numbers right. strata and lumina estimate mm -hmm. around 40 million. We also thought that had important implications for, for schools who are trying to recruit prospective adult learners. And so February hit, we published this research and right away we knew 
that we needed to then go back to our uh, go back to the field and listen carefully mm. to the perspective of learners and trying to understand how the pandemic and the subsequent recession was impacting their decision making. Right. So part of our operating assumption has been in other periods of economic downturn, adult enrollment tends to be counter cyclical. Mm-hmm. So as people lose jobs, they flight the flight back to quality to try right. and re recredential, upskill, reskill. And we, we were wondering we, if we, we saw that in uh, two thousand eight, right? That was to uh, some degree, yeah. And certainly in dot com era, um, when the dot com boom uh, uh, bust happened. Yeah. Um, we were wondering would that happen again to the same level, given the the kind of universal impact that the pandemic has had. And so with that in mind, we teed up a new survey we fielded in June, mm. um, nationally representative survey to compare and benchmark what we could learn now with mm. what we learned from last year. And then we're right. going to repeat that process in the fall because we think we're in the third or fourth inning of maybe a nine yeah. or 10 inning game. Yeah, um, and it, and it seems say- baseball may be coming back too on a related <laughs> note. So, uh, so right. baseball, baseball analogies are welcome. Yes. Yes. Right. So that's what we've done. And that's, that's what 2020, I think, has been. I think for us, our hearts are with the, these, these learners, these students who are juggling, yeah. um, you know, the illness in their family, their, mm-hmm. their friends, their kids, mm-hmm. their, uh, you know, adult learners who are furloughed, who right. are trying to anticipate what mm-hmm. is my path mm-hmm. forward. So I guess uncertainty has reigned. Yeah. Um, and with uncertainty, we're trying to focus on how this population makes decisions and what yeah. we can do, what schools can do to support them going forward. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I feel similarly in, you know, doing a weekly trend spotting show about education in 2020, there's plenty, plenty to chew on. And, and then just the fact that this, this impacted the entirety of your addressable market at the same time, like everyone is being forced into these different behavior patterns. And it was interesting in the article, you did uh, distinguish between the short-term perspective and a longer-term perspective. It does seem like in some ways that the market is somewhat in shock. Like we're all still trying to come to terms with what the new normal is. And then we're still not clear what it will be come the fall. So, so it does feel like there's a, there's a critical period we're in now where we're all trying to understand what the fall may be like, and then there'll be the opportunity to reassess and evaluate after the fall. And it, it, you did do some research, I think, into those two different perspectives. You know, what do people uh, expect for the next three months versus a longer time horizon? Any, any thoughts, thoughts there? Sure, well, I mean, one of the things we were interested in was attitudes towards wholly or largely online mm-hmm. instruction. So some background, what we've seen in the last several years of doing this research is that among prospective adult learners, there's generally around 20%, who, only 20% who would say, I'll take something, I'll get my next credential wholly online. Mm-hmm. Uh, these tend to be the younger adult learners, so mm-hmm. 28 and lower, yep. tend to be going for master's degrees, they tend to be fully employed, Mm-hmm. They tend to have a, a requisite level of sort of technical savvy. Mm-hmm. And so we were keeping our eye on that, on that percentage. And so mm-hmm. what we did in the survey was to basically ask them thinking back and, and the, our surveys are fairly complex. Mm-hmm. I should say that when we survey 
perspective adult learners, it's a in-depth analysis. It's not uh, through the phone. It's a web-enabled, a smartphone-enabled uh, platform. So we asked them to think back to uh, the time before COVID, what would have been their attitudes about online or wholly online or largely online? Mm -hmm. What would be their attitude sort of three months out, uh, right. several months out? And then what would be their attitude further out, six mm -hmm. months out? Mm -hmm. As I said, you know, what we've seen in the past is that for many, for almost 70% of prospective adult learners, online was sort of the modality of last resort. Mm -hmm. um, they could tolerate it, but they were, you know, there's significant concern over, will the stuff work? Right. What do I do when I need help? You know, the image of online learning tends to be sort of a serene evening of light, like blue glow coming from the screen, a very contented uh, worker, someone studying, they look, they look happy, they look yeah. uninterrupted, and we know yeah. that it's anything but the opposite. They're in right, some right, right. on-air-conditioned basement, kids right. are crying, the right. thing's not working, the right. machine's rebooting. So that was our thinking. So what we found was that yes, the 20% was there for the folks thinking back before COVID, before mm -hmm. COVID-19. Mm -hmm. But when we asked them for that period of time, sort of several months out, the, the rate of tolerance and the rate of, of willingness to learn online doubled. Mm -hmm. um, and that was interesting and significant. And we mm -hmm. cut that across many different demographic mm -hmm. um, factors, prior credentials and so forth. And then when we looked six months out, the rate of, of attitudes or acceptance of wholly online or largely online, we combine those two, where it's entirely online or, or predominantly online, mm -hmm. only drop to about 30%. Yeah. So in effect, what we're seeing is short term, I will, many of these perspective adult learners, uh, sort of a quotient of, of attitudes for online would increase, mm -hmm. but not falling back to the pre-pandemic levels before. Mm -hmm. And the other notable trend we saw was the real decrease was returning to campus full time. Right. So in a separate part of the survey, we asked them, what are you most worried about? And among the people who said they are worried, the, I think a third of that group said, what I'm worried about is being back in public spaces. Mm -hmm. um, I'm worried about my own infection. We infer right. from that taking care of kids mm -hmm. or, or uh, elderly people in their family. Right. So all that combined, I think it's a signal to schools that, and not surprisingly, schools who had already amassed some experience, some street cred, and also capabilities in running effective online programs have done well in terms right. of enrollment in this first phase. Yeah. Schools that have, have been less on that curve, development curve, are yeah. struggling right. and will struggle. Right, right. But I think it always comes back to what should schools do to communicate how they will support these learners whether it's wholly online or largely online. And for those folks who are going to have to come back to campus for right. some kind of, you know, for example, there are clinical requirements for any nursing or, or healthcare um, mm -hmm. degree. What is that going to be like to achieve mm -hmm. your um, required hours right. um, for education certifications or endorsements? So all of that is part of the mix. And that was one thing that we saw early on that we mm -hmm. thought was interesting and, and notable. Yeah, yeah. And then another trend that was in there was, and I think you mentioned it briefly uh, earlier, is increased interest in undergraduate and certificate degrees. And then I, I thought I saw maybe a decrease in interest in some of the full-on graduate level uh, degrees. Right. It's a little complex. I mean, and I think that speaks to the fact that these 
know, prospective adult learners are complex. You know, there's many countervailing principles they have to focus compared right. to traditional first time 18 year olds who are now struggling with what do I do about going back to school? Yeah. You know, the adults are always dealing with competing claims. They've always focused on affordability and flexibility as the yeah. drivers for them. So what we've seen now in the last couple of years is an increase of interest in sort of non-degree, short-form certificates, transactional, mm -hmm. employability focus, very clear articulation between the programs and the required hiring prerequisites. Yep. Uh, to some degree, that reflects some of the competitive market. You have right. other providers, right. um, whether they're MOOCs or yeah. LinkedIn or Linda yeah. or boot, boot, boot camps, camps right? yeah, exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, are now offering sort of very transactional. So mm -hmm. in this context of the pandemic, what we've seen is an endorsement, sort of a affirmation that that is attractive for a certain segment of prospective adult learners. Mm -hmm. We've also saw interest at the same level we've seen before, a slight uptick of interest in undergraduate degrees, two, mm -hmm. two and four year degrees, mm -hmm. which some of that could be degree completion. So yep. in effect, people are saying, okay, I've lost my job, I'm furloughed. Right. Um, I will probably have to use some savings or whatever public, whether it's federal or state aid might be available to me. Mm -hmm. My employer is not going to cover these costs because they're cutting back. Right. So what is the, what's my horizon for investment to upskill or reskill? And so it tends, it's skewing towards undergraduate degrees and non-degree alternatives. In right. terms of the graduate degrees, we still see interest. We still see demand there. But in effect, what we've seen is people or this population is pushing that decision out further. Yes. So in effect, a greater willingness to enroll in a short term, I'd say three year, three months to a year yep. uptick in non-credit mm -hmm. alter, uh, certificate alternatives and, and undergraduate degrees and sort of a delay um, mm -hmm. for a year or two among yep. the people who are saying, Look, if I'm going back to get the MBA or the terminal degree or some graduate um, uh, higher cost, uh, more time intensive, that might yield a greater economic result, mm -hmm. I'm going to wait mm -hmm. because there are too many uncertainties. And mm -hmm. I think that that's, that speaks to, it's not a nullification of graduate degree demand, mm -hmm. but it's more of a, of a, a logical, intentional sequencing people saying, you know, I, I, I may need to get something shorter, mm -hmm. sooner, cheaper than, than that, that MBA mm -hmm. um, or whatever that graduate degree might be. Now, yeah, yeah. going forward, we're going to keep an eye on that because since we fielded the survey, which was mid-June, early mid-June, yeah. you know, we've now seen this resurgence mm -hmm. of you know, the, the pandemic and the rate of infection and the rates mm -hmm. of, of death, even though they're largely older folks it's not receded, it's increased. Yeah, and so right. how is that going to affect these decisions is what we'll look at in the next part of this survey. Yeah, what, what, what I found interesting and I really appreciate is the, the full breadth of your perspective at identifying the adult learner. Frequently, the focus is very much on 18 year olds who are about to enter right. their undergraduate experience. And obviously those narratives are, are out there, they're challenging, I've heard tale of the corona gap year as a new trend, which is <laughs> right. if you were to ever take a gap year, this might be the one. Any thoughts on the perspective, how we could broaden that perspective in terms of understanding adult learners? Any ways in which maybe we're not thinking about 
the the size of the the market you mentioned the the some college no degree percentage is is was was striking when when i when i was digging in in that space so any any ways in which our audience might might be uh, edified by broadening their perspective based on uh, your experience well the market's massive Mm -hmm. The demand is massive. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have in our survey and others, you know, Strata has done some excellent research, Lumina. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you segment just by people who just have a high school diploma mm -hmm. and need to, and are looking for some type of, of vocationally focused training certificate, yeah. that's an enormous market. I mean, right. I think in right. general, graduate level higher education has done well by focusing on the highest likelihood population, a population with the highest likelihood to enroll in longer, more expensive graduate level degrees. And we right. and that's that's been a reoccurring trope. Right. I think that what the pandemic has exposed is that you have large segments of the population who have significant demand mm -hmm. and significant need for something other than that graduate degree. Right. So is it fall in the category of undergraduate degrees? Well, what, what are those for an older adult who might have, you know, we have to look back, we have to look at this moment in the context of the last, I'd say prior 10 years where the economy has hummed along, yep. not, not completely well, but has, has increased. And so you've had people who may have come out of uh, college or may have come out of high school or may have come out of with an associate degree who said, you know, I'm going to hang on and stay in my job for a period yep. of time right. because I'm getting by as well as I might be able to. Mm -hmm. I, I think that this, the conditions we're in expose the fact that that's a very tenuous existence. Yeah, yeah. The other thing we've, we've thought a lot about and, are try, and when we do our surveys, we're trying to extract this meaning is that, you know, for a 28-year-old uh, young adult or a 35 year old young adult, you have to ask yourself, and I think schools need to do this more intentionally. What were they doing 10 years ago in the um, great recession? Mm -hmm. well, what were they doing? What was the imprint of them on from nine 11, mm -hmm. you know, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so this, I call this sort of a generation exhausted. Mm -hmm. These are folks who, who mm -hmm. have experienced significant disruptions in yep. normal life. Right. Uh, periodically. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's as young children experiencing 9-11 and going through that crisis, mm -hmm. uh, the wars, and then the recession. Mm -hmm. And so here we are again. And I think right. the way I, I always think that what our research is trying to do is to shed light on how they make decisions. Mm -hmm. um, because I think in that, the delta between someone deciding to pursue something or not the delta there is where schools, I think, can step in and provide not just in name flexibility, but, you know, freezes on tuition or fee rates for a period right. of time. The ability mm -hmm. to stop and start or start a program, leave that program, come back. Mm -hmm. Favorable requirements on transfer guidelines. These are yep. all, by the way, features that when we ask prospective adult learners, what do they want? They all rank those very high. And very specific in terms of what they're looking for, not mm -hmm. just career services, but we have them, you know, for example, one of the items we see increased in the last pandemic influenced data is this population looking for greater guidance on debt management, mm -hmm. on accessing a career services, mm -hmm. uh, which we had, hadn't seen that before. It was sort of a hands-off, I think I've got this attitude 
debt was, you know, everyone was assuming massive amounts of debt at yeah. low prices. Right. Now I think we see them being more tentative about how to manage that going forward. Yeah, yeah. It kind of reminds me of uh, agile software development versus uh, waterfall where, you know, if you're planning a two or three year massive project, you know, that's the traditional waterfall mo model. It's not as resilient to the variability of uh, demand and response once you're out there testing things, which is why it does feel like um, the market may be pulling back and being a little more flexible in their short-term thinking because we just don't know what's going on. Like there's, there's so much yet to be determined. Do you have any perspective for folks on the the administration side of universities or, or folks who are, are trying to lead higher ed organizations through this, this crazy time of ours? Well, one of our through lines that we've always talked about is uh, prior to this, going back in our research the last several years, is many schools of continuing education, extension schools, professional studies, they do this really well. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the complexity of the adult market is greater. The variables, the inputs that drive people to make decisions to go or not to go part-time, full-time, mm -hmm. coding boot camp software versus data analytics, MBAs, is much broader and greater mm -hmm. than the, the, the drivers of traditional enrollment. You know, there you have sort of a captive population for mm -hmm. all intents and purposes yep. uh, by age, not everyone, but largely that's where it goes. And then you have an experience that's fairly predictable. Here, mm -hmm. you have a broader range of inputs that are impacting this population. And what they tend to do is focus on sort of very pragmatic ROI calculations. Mm -hmm. What is my pathway to a greater financial security for me and my family? Right. And I'm going to pursue that. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things we've talked with a lot of schools about and the work and, and Edge Ventures is, you know, we're a research advising firm or an independent research advising firm that helps schools make these, these calculations, is to listen carefully to these learners, mm -hmm. listen carefully to the distinctions between them. Mm -hmm. And that at this type of moment, it's not a matter of jettisoning your graduate uh, programs, but it's a matter of tuning what you offer to that population based mm -hmm. on what they're asking for. And if they're asking for something that's a sub-degree certificate in a healthcare field that is going to boom and to provide greater job security going forward, mm -hmm. then that's an intelligent decision. If it's saying, well, we, we're really good at offering online MBAs and that's what we're going to offer, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, that good luck. I think that's, that could be a challenge given right. that that might take a longer period of time. Mm -hmm. I think that the other thing that we've, we've surfaced is that, and, and part of our surveys, by the way, use a, an analysis that asks the ask prospective learners to, to identify their expectations, why are they doing this, the ways in which they would prefer to learn, sort of their desired experiences, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then what we call features, literally what they're willing to pay for. And then we're able to segment that by prior credential, by demographics and also we apply what we call a mindset filter so we've identified four typical mindsets of of that are can reveal how people make decisions i think that level of complexity is really hard and and necessary but can be expensive mm -hmm. for graduate schools professional study schools 
to make those, to offer that type of, of differentiation. Yeah. But I think it's ultimately, I think, you know, schools that have done well in doing this have done that, have, have recognized that complexity. Right. And I would put schools like UCLA Extension, mm. Southern, obviously Southern New Hampshire, mm-hmm. um, uh, University of College, UMUC, uh, mm-hmm. now called Global Campus. Right. Some of the for-profits have done well with this, right. uh, Capella right, right. and Strayer. They've listened carefully to what those adult prospects are actually asking for yeah. and then trying to be responsive, mm-hmm. a heightened level of responsiveness. Now, again, the challenge now is, is this all counter-cyclical because when people lose their jobs, they tend to go back and we're, you know, our answer to that question has been for some, yes, it will be who have a mass capital, have a storehouse, but right. not for all. Right. Given the unpredictability of things like childcare, commuting, yep. transportation, online. Right. right. It's, we're not, we're not, it, it may, it may happen, but it may not happen in the speed and the, and the, the arc of the enrollment chart that we've seen before. Right. So it does sound like some of this is uh, net beneficial to the Coursera's and the LinkedIn learning, you know, the fact that folks may not want to go full on, at least in the short term, really short term is what I'm talking about. But I, but I imagine longer term, there'll probably be some some further benefit once folks adopt that people will look for a targeted light commitment but hard skill development for themselves to make them more employable and then play a little more of a wait and see game around where are we actually going to be come October, November, December. And by then it it is sort of that Corona gap year idea where the traditional academic calendar that begins in the fall and runs through uh, May of the following calendar year that's kind of shot to shot to hell in some ways. So, so I think people are going to be reevaluating what options are. Either they're committed to this cycle, or they're they're playing a little more of a wait and see. And there's potentially more interest in while you're waiting and seeing. Can you accrue skills? Can you accrue value by 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 being a little more short-term transactional about your educational experience? But I, I think I think that's a good point, um, Mike. But I think it extends even further. I mean, I think that. For the some college, no degree, the high school diploma, prospective learner looking Mm. for that transactional course or certificate, Mm -hmm. um, institutions of higher education may only be one of the items on their list. They might be looking at credentials provided entirely by the private sector, by the corporate world. So Amazon had already, prior Mm -hmm. to this, made a considerable investment Mm -hmm. in its training frontline workers. Walmart, we see doing that. Google, of course, they're looking at uh, computer software coding and the like. But I think that that from the point of view of the consumer, Mm -hmm. sure, there is always faith in higher education, but can it deliver in the speed and time and cost and price point mm-hmm. that that particular learner can afford in terms of investment? Right. And if it, instead it can be done by something that's not accredited the same way, mm-hmm. then they're probably going to go in that direction. I, yeah. That's an attractive alternative. In terms of MOOCs, they have all, uh, Coursera and edX and Udemy, they've all seen significant in increases in enrollment mm-hmm. um, from across different metropolitan areas, uh, mm-hmm. national, regional areas, and so forth, across disciplines. Mm-hmm. 
those are still just branded content from universities and Correct. institutions. And yep. they're, they're great. And I think everyone has sort of dabbled in, and taken those courses. And they do have an opportunity to really fill a very, very significant gap. Mm -hmm. And I think they've made very good progress in terms of pivoting and creating that flexibility. The mm -hmm. question still in the mind of the prospective adult learner is, will this thing that I'm taking online mm -hmm. by myself, self-paced, mm -hmm. um, uh, one of 20,000 people in a course mm -hmm. on data analytics, will this help me rescale and insulate myself mm -hmm. from the next period of time? Right. And that's, I think, still unknown. I right. think that's still a question that is, is still in process of being answered. So I think it's an opportunity for those providers to demonstrate viability and, and throughput but I think there's still skepticism. So our data, for example, we ask our prospective adult learners, would you look at an alternative boot camp or a MOOC? And the percentage is in the context of, I want to go for a career and technical education degree or an undergraduate degree and a social degree. It's around 10 or 12 percent. Because I will do something other than those degrees or institutions. So it's, and it's, we haven't seen that uptick yet. We're looking to see whether... Folks would say, yes, I will now go entirely online with edX or Coursera, but we have not yet seen it. Mm. And also related to that, we asked them about how would you pay? And so things like income sharing agreements, mm -hmm. um, which have uh, garnered a lot of attention and I think they're very interesting. There's been investment in them. You know, our perspective at our pool, still it's around eight or 9% said, I'm going to pursue that. Hasn't okay. maybe ticked up a couple of percentage points, which is probably not uh, statistically significant year to year, mm -hmm. but it's not been an overwhelmingly march towards that. And mm -hmm. by and large, it's it's federal or uh, private loans, uh, federal mm -hmm. loans, mm -hmm. savings. What we do notice is more highly employed graduate seeking prospects are counting on some employer contributions. Yep. Um, and they're banking on that. Those still be there. Mm -hmm. That's part of what the, the game is that we're seeing. Yeah, it's fascinating because uh, a lot of the conversations we've had on the workforce side has been that these learning benefits are, in fact, a benefit that is used to attract talent and sure. retain and develop the talent. But now with the rapid transformation of business models that's happening, not every organization can afford, A, just to keep people employed. You know, they're furloughing folks and, and or laying them off. And then it's a question of, do you want to spend on an educational benefit? And if so... Right who who qualifies for it and what's the return on that it all does point from my perspective it all does point to developing more affordable online solutions that are flexible and just in time developed is the other component because i think a lot of the the skepticism you're describing is in part because we don't know what we don't know like how will the job how will mark jobs change in the next few years how much of that will be driven purely by the, the COVID response and how much of it is being driven by the fourth industrial revolution and other trends that, that were already happening around machine learning and automation. How does that dovetail with this pandemic? And then what does the job market look like, say, two to five years out? I think a lot of us really just don't know, which is why the skepticism to, to me makes makes a lot of sense. Uh, I know we're getting close to time. This has been, a, this has been a fantastic getting you, getting a little uh, opportunity for you to impart your knowledge on me and our listeners. If folks want to learn more about this type of stuff, where should they go? 
So edgyventures.com. Okay. We are, as I said before, we're edgyventures research. We're, we're provide a variety of different research and advising services on traditional learners, technology, student success, obviously the adult learner market, but edgyventures.com. Every Tuesday we offer what's called a wake up call. Mm. It's a free, a thousand words from myself or one of our analyst team members about uh, current trends in education. So we mm. run national surveys. Mm. We just re we're releasing uh, this week a survey of, of chief online learning officers. Mm -hmm. It's called Chloe. It's been the fifth uh, survey in that series. Mm. So uh, edgeventures.com, look for the wake up calls. Um, happy to answer any questions going forward. Yeah, thank you. There's a little more for our listeners, so so don't hang up because typically the yeah. last question we like to ask sure, yeah, is, go ahead. Uh, is what other trends outside of everything we talked about so far are capturing your attention? What's something surprising, something counterintuitive, uh, a little surprising morsel of insight from Howard Lurie on <laughs> his way out the door? Well, I think there's a stirring that's spawned by the pandemic and then the the the, the turmoil that's been surfaced through questions about race and equity, mm -hmm. racial injustice. I, I think that schools are, in general, attempting to listen carefully to these issues. I think they cut across all sorts of demographics. Mm -hmm. But I, I think one of the messages that's coming through is that higher education institutions, I wouldn't say it's an existential threat for them, but they need to demonstrate their viability and credibility from the graduate PhD levels all the way down that spectrum mm -hmm. to servicing a, a working class single parent with a high school mm -hmm. diploma. And what can they do for them, whether they're public institutions or private or whatever that dimension might be. And I mm -hmm. think they're having to, in fact, I think it's a, an, an industry sector wide wake up call Mm -hmm. to say, let's listen to what people need. What kind of support do they need? What is the, the sort of economic consideration they're willing to provide? Because mm -hmm. this is an effective product. Mm -hmm. um, and what can we do to educate more people equitably, efficiently? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think, it's, I think that's uh, the inflection point we're at. And yeah. so, yes, all of the other issues that we're talking about, I think, feed into that. Mm -hmm. But look, in the United States, education, uh, higher education has played an essential role. It has to still play that role. It has to seize that mantle mm -hmm. and move forward with that and not retreat. And, mm -hmm. and I think sometimes it puts schools, sort of maybe more established systems and schools in awkward positions to say, mm -hmm. gee, I, I, I need to rethink what our structures are. Now's the time to do it. Yeah. Because um, it's a critical period. And I think many schools will step up and do that. And I hope yeah that we can help in that process. Awesome. Howard Lurie, morsels of wisdom imparted in multiple directions. Check out the wake up call, check out Edgy Ventures. Howard, also a great follow on LinkedIn. Thanks very much uh, for joining. Thanks, Mike, take care. And for our listeners, we'll be back again soon. Thanks as always for listening.